0: Is Dramatic Travels.
1: Yo ho out there in podcast land, Aaron Schlein here, and you have landed on episode number 27 of Dramatic Travels Family. My guest this week is Jason Jenkins, the host of Epic Education Radio, which you can find at anepiceducation.com. Jason is a fellow family travel podcaster, and he joined me all the way from his home in Mexico for this interview. Had a whole lot of fun. My chat with Jason's coming up right now. Off we go with today's guest. He is joining us all the way from Mexico today. His name is Jason Jenkins. Welcome to the show, Jason. Are you ready to share your dramatic travels?
0: Yes, I am.
1: Yes, sir. Jason Jenkins writes about art, music, food, cameras, travel, and parenting. Jason is the man behind An Epic Education and the Epic Education Radio podcast. He has been living abroad in one way or another since 1997 and loves traveling with his wife and kids. Jason, my friend, that's your official bio. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Just bring us into your world.
0: Okay. Well, let's see. I um, yeah. My name's Jason. I am uh, from the United States. I left my hometown of Atlanta. I left the states in 1997, basically to go a year abroad, and uh, never came back. Um, I mean, there's a whole story with that. I'm happy to get into that. But basically, uh, I left. Uh, I left the U.S. in in 1997 and moved to Taiwan. Lived there for three years, then moved to uh, Japan. Was in Tokyo for about 13 years, um, uh, and uh, you know, had kids there. They were born there. Went to local schools. And in 2013, my wife and I decided to uh, leave our desk jobs and show our kids the world we had thought about doing it when later when they were older but we we for a variety of reasons decided to do it earlier and took off in 2013 and i guess this september would be the fifth year anniversary we've been gone for about five years since then we i guess you would call us slow travelers i mean everybody's definition of what slow traveling is is a little different but uh you know we Usually base ourselves in one place and then travel in the region. So we've lived in uh since since we left Tokyo, we've lived in Taiwan, Thailand, Malaysia, Spain, and now Mexico.
1: Well, when you're traveling for as long as you are, there really is no such thing as slow or fast. You're just living on the road, man. And I think that's I think that's just fantastic. Take me back to that that first trip you said was to Taiwan. What was uh what was that like? What what was the uh inspiration for that very first trip that got this all started?
0: You know, in a previous life, I was an elementary school teacher. I graduated college with an art education degree. And my whole dream was to to go out and sort of help, uh, for lack of a better term, at-risk youth. I wanted to to, to go into some you know some tough neighborhoods in the states and and uh, and help through art and I did that for three years um, but it was just a, I just realized I wasn't built for it I I thought I was going to be able to just go in there and change lives overnight and I just got humbled really quickly and I uh, decided I needed to take a break I needed to take a year off travel a little bit get my head screwed on and see and of course I was in my late 20s or mid 20s at that time I wanted to kind of reassess if this is what I wanted to do in this 1997 this was pre-internet I didn't even have an email address back then but I had heard that people taught English abroad and so I started looking into that and um, for I was looking at Eastern Europe and I was looking at South America. I started dating a Japanese woman in the States. Uh, so I started looking at Asia. I thought, nah, I don't want to go to Japan. I don't want to go to, to Korea. It's too formal. A friend of mine you know, had uh, taught English in Taiwan. I followed – him got the exact same job and loved it so much and never came back begged my Japanese girlfriend to leave the states and follow me she did and then I and then a couple of years later I followed her to Japan and you know fast forward <laughs> 13 years and or however many years and we've got a now we have a 15 year old son and a 12 and a year old daughter
1: well when you were at that that sort of that impasse where you had gone and doing that the at-risk youth work with the art and you just wasn't working out the way you hoped it was. What was it inside you that made you think that the travel was the logical next step, that travel was going to be the answer you're looking for?
0: Well, I'd always liked to travel. I mean, like um, that wasn't my first trip abroad. I had been abroad with my my father uh, years and years ago. And then when I graduated college, I did the backpacking through Europe thing. And the funny thing is, is that I'd always loved it, but I'd never thought about... A life of travel, for for lack of a, a more elaborate articulate expression, I, I now I had this dream of, of of being a school teacher. But uh, three years in, I, I needed to try a break, and once I left, I just realized I didn't want to go back. Um, I, there, you know, there's probably a part of it too that you know I went from teaching in you know an american school system in some rough neighborhoods granted but you know just didn't have a support network wasn't respected by you know many of the kids the parents then i went over and i started teaching in taiwan and i was like treated like some sage at the dinner table everybody you know just uh, you know so maybe there was a little bit of uh uh, uh, tickling my ego, but a big part of it was just the adventure. I mean, it's why we all get into it, right? I mean, I learned to ride a motorcycle on crazy streets. We did, uh, you know, uh, backpack camping all over, all over the island of Taiwan, which has lots of like geothermal things. So we're, you know, we're you know, riding into the jungle and digging a hole for our own, you know, hot spring, I mean, it was just, it was the adventure that I had not had, and um, and I loved it, and so there was a, it just kind of opened a little, little door, and I guess another part of it was the, you know, the sort of, not just the cultural experiences that I was having there, which were tremendous, but all of a sudden, My friends went from people who, you know, probably grew up a hundred miles from me at the maximum to having, you know, friends from Thailand and Germany and South Africa and Australia. And it was sort of the first time, I mean, I grew up in sort of a little cow town outside of Atlanta and it just sort of opened my eyes to the world and I just wanted more of it.
1: Well, you talked about, isn't that what we all want? Speaking about travel and adventure and exploration, you know, I think. For me and certainly for you, that is absolutely the case. But the more and more I learn about my kind of my fellow man and in particular my fellow Americans, I I don't see that as always being the case. So can you take me back into your childhood and take me back to some of that, that travel you mentioned with your father, some of when the seeds were planted for a lifetime of travel?
0: Sure. Okay. Well, um, my parents grew up in an even smaller area. They grew up in uh, Mobile, Alabama, right off the Gulf of Mexico, and and uh, left. and My my parents are are quite religious. I'm actually a, a preacher's kid, and so a lot of my early travel was going to on trips to Israel and Egypt, kind of following you know biblical places with my dad. Uh, and so. That was obviously sort of you know triggered something in me. I mean I'm going I'm climbing in the pyramids of Giza at uh, 11 or 12 years old, and but I guess you know I, I think what you're 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 what you're looking for, and I think what a lot of your guests give you is this sort of like from the very beginning they've had this thing. Uh, maybe I did, but I didn't realize it until I actually like left and went out and went, holy crap, why didn't I think of this before? Um, I think there was a part of me that wanted – not only to sort of discover something new and that had always been a part of my life I was always looking for some art exhibit or some festival or some new album you know like I was always seeking something new in the world that I had at in you know the 80s in Atlanta Georgia I was always you know seeking some new experiences and um, but I, it didn't take the form. It didn't manifest itself into travel, even after backpacking through Europe and loving it. I didn't even consider, uh, you know, th- uh, that being a life. And th- that's kind of funny because, I mean, I, I'm sure you're, you've had or will will have many other travel bloggers like me on the podcast. And a lot of them will say they took this one trip and they just knew for some reason I didn't. I think it was because I had this or this desire i felt like i uh, this calling to to help kids in the inner city of the states and once i kind of realized i guess you know was humbled in the fact that i just don't know if i was going to be able to make it i took off and that's i guess when i realized how big the world really was uh i mean the small town in taiwan where i first left was quite different than, you know, backpacking through Paris or, you know, or these places that I'd been before. And it
1: just, uh,
0: it, you know, it just kind of opened something up in me. And I needed, I needed more of that. I went from being a fairly cautious person. I mean, I won't say, uh, I'm not a scaredy cat, but I mean, but I, I didn't take big risks. This, this move to Taiwan was the biggest you know, risk I had ever done. I, I didn't know anybody where I was going. Um, and I went from that to, you know, solo motorcycle camping, circumnavigating the island. And then when my wife came over, we started doing a lot more just sort of like a, a, a more adventuresome backpacking into the bush and things that I would have never dreamed of doing. And now I do them with my kids. And uh, that's it's just something that we still seek out. I've tried to nurture that in my kids, not necessarily to look for trouble, but also to kind of seek out the unknown For without sounding too overdramatic.
1: Well, I like how you took us through that progression of, of risk, or at least perceived risk, because you think about something like moving overseas, moving to Taiwan, I think a very decent chunk of the population, myself included, to some degree, would see that as, as a risk. And, you know, looking at risk just in its purest form is the probability of some negative consequence happening. You know, what kind of negative consequences do you think people perceive about traveling and even more specifically about living overseas?
0: I think... I mean, I, I'm not in those people. You know, I'm not in the non-traveler's head. But at least the the perception I get from people who write to my blog, or people when I when I visit and go back to the states and tell people, you know, where I live and things. Obviously, the first one is danger. They think the world is dangerous. They think that people are out to get you. Um, I've I've experienced much more of that in the last 9 months since we've been in Mexico when i go back to visit my friends you live in mexico how could you live in mexico well you know it's 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 great to kind of pop that bubble and also to give some perspective because there, you know, there are risks in a lot of places in, in the world. And you know, that that you know, dealing with perceived risk, real risk, and then how to how to leverage those things is a good chunk of life. But I, I I to kind of circle back to your question, I think the first thing people are worried about is like literal physical safety. They think that people are out to get you. And the thing is you know, they just aren't most of them are either fascinated by you or or couldn't give a damn that you're standing there it's it's one or the other um i mean you have to be aware of pickpockets or thieves and in you know certain places of the world you don't necessarily go out at night or you kind of are aware of where you are but the world's a whole lot safer and there's a whole lot more people who would rather talk to you or help you out than than you know Whatever kind of nightmare scenario. After that, I think um, people worry about, I guess, you know, health. Issues, You know, am I going to get sick from the food? Am I going to, you know, what happens if I, you know, have a car accident or things? So you, you deal with those things the same way you would in other places. And hospitals are pretty good <laughs> around the world. I'm, I think I'm enjoying, uh, you know, healthcare in Spain, Malaysia, and Mexico more than I did in, uh, the States, uh, you know, in my very specific situations, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm speaking in my specific thing, not in, uh, Uh, The broad generalities. I know there's different everywhere. Uh, But physical safety is, or, you know, and health issues are fine. I guess the third would be. Communication um, and being able to communicate what you want, and that's that's also a reality that's perfectly manageable, and sometimes some of the most fun interactions have been when neither of us could actually speak to each other. Uh, I've picked up some language along the way, but I'm not fluent in anything um, and, and have not been but have been able to to manage if anything it's easier now with Google Translate on there i'm not i'm not saying that that you should use that as a crutch everywhere you go but it's it's easier to get your point across now than any other time you know in human history really
1: well yeah, and that that idea of communicating with people when you don't have a common language That is one of the for me. That is. Those are some of the sharpest and some of the most fun memories from my travels. Is sitting and struggling through a conversation where you don't speak the same language, or in a couple cases, I I found where I came across someone who I didn't speak their native language. They didn't speak English, but somehow we discovered that we both spoke just a little bit of French, and we would. You know, muddle through a conversation. It was so much fun, and it was so memorable. And those are the kind of things those those memories those that you could just take with you for the rest of your life, and just just really treasure those free memories, those free souvenirs you get from from travel. I was really fascinated by talking when you're talking about talking to your friends back home or the readers on your blog. Um, Do you feel like you get any? any movement in their opinions by sharing those stories, especially in Mexico? Cause here in the States, yeah, it's nothing but, you know, Mexico equals war zone danger. Don't go there, but you're clearly living there in safety. You're speaking to me now f- through Skype. I don't hear any gunfire in the background. So, I mean, what is, what are those conversations like?
0: Well, I mean, I, to be honest, the, I have them mostly when I'm back in the States, when people interact with me through comments on the blog or in various like travel forum groups online most of those people are already sort of you know they're open to the idea of of uh, you know travel in in latin america usually what i get is when i'm i'm visiting the states and i'm you know visiting my parents and i'm you know i meet some of their you know one of their friends at their neighborhood or at their you know wherever and the the initial look of Mexico you live in Mexico and it's sort of like you know you've probably heard these sort of comparisons before i mean oh yeah there are parts of Mexico that are very dangerous but they're they're literally hundreds thousands of miles away i mean there's certain neighborhoods in chicago and detroit and st louis that i would not go to uh, ever <laughs> but I, that doesn't mean that i would uh, uh that i would not you know advise people to go to the united states i mean you have there's there's certain perspectives that that other people can maybe articulate better than i but i mean as someone who's lived out of the states for a long time a lot of people are sort of are like you're going back to the states isn't it dangerous <laughs> i mean you know you, they uh, my my in-laws in osaka japan were you know vehement and this is 20 years ago that that uh, their daughter my now wife could not go to the states by herself and this is before the weekly you know the weekly mass shootings that are happening today if you look at the headlines from outside of the states it's pretty extreme you know um but to to, to circle back to mexico I, i'm actually i'm You know, I just stopped writing, uh, working on a post on Mexico City uh, that I've been working on the 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 last two days to do this interview with you. I was just there for a daddy daughter weekend. Me and my twelve year old girl went down there for three or four days, and I can't wait to go back. And most people, when they think of Mexico City, they think it's, you know, it's it's riot police and you know and drug cartels, which is not true. Most of the the violence. And, and I'm not trying to excuse any of Mexico's problems. I mean, it certainly has some. But most of the the issues with cartels and things like that, that's that's up near the American border. You know, I mean, it's it's that's it's where things are crossing. Mexico City is a fantastic, uh, you know, very European-like city with massive parks and tree-lined hipster neighborhoods and ice cream parlors and art galleries. And I can't wait to go back. Um, and I try to express that to uh, to people actually. I was uh, oh I know the reason I brought this up is because I, I looked up uh, I just looked up a Wikipedia page on like you know highest murder rates and yeah there's a lot of Mexico cities in there and a lot of Brazil cities uh, but there's also St Louis Baltimore uh, where was it there was like three or four cities that were higher and Mexico City wasn't even in the top. Twenty of those, so you know a little perspective is in there. And t- it, would I not advise someone to go to St. Louis? No, but there's probably a certain area, a neighborhood of St. Louis that I wouldn't go anywhere near. And that's that's what uh that's what a lot of Mexico is like. Where I live right now. Uh, is a place called San Miguel de Allende. Um, you should definitely, your listeners, if you've never heard of it, look it up. It's actually now Condé Travelers Travelers uh, has just, you know, voted it the, you know, the best city in the world for the second year in a row, which is not good for me, because that means the my rent may go up as more tourists show up and more retirees. There's 10% of the population here is Americans and Canadians or retirees. Uh, it's, you know, it's a Picture postcard town with festivals going on all the time and great food and warm and welcoming people. We've had – the only places where we haven't felt welcome are in, like, tourist spots like Cancun, you know, in the Yucatan Peninsula. It's uh, – I, I mean, just start looking for, like, Mexico with Kids or Mexico Travel. There are huge groups on Facebook, and they're – you know, once you arrive here, you realize how many tens of thousands – of other North Americans uh, and Australians and and British and and we've even bumped into some Japanese and Russians and French that all live here because it's that nice.
1: Well, it's definitely going on my list. You might see me down there sooner than later, Jason. I hope I don't uh, cause your rent to go up, but I'm gonna have to be checking that out. <laughs> so let's talk. Let's talk a little bit more about your family because you, you have a, you do have a fantastic, wonderful situation where you're kind of permanently on the road, not just with your wife, but with your kids. Can you just talk about what it's like being a dad on the road uh, and what it's like for your kids growing up in this unique lifestyle?
0: Sure. Okay. Well, um, uh, as I said previously, you know, my kids were born in Tokyo and they, you know, we we lived there for until my son was 11 and my daughter was 7. That was 2013. And, uh, and then we we sort of hit the road. And part of the reason was t- basically to, to be with them. We lived in uh, East Tokyo in a nice kind of working class neighborhood. Uh, the kids had lots of friends, but they were the only sort of uh non-Japanese kids. I mean their mother is Japanese, but they look like me. They white, freckle-faced little kids, right? So uh we used there was a there was starting to be a few identity issues uh, i mean which any kid you know kind of growing up in a different culture might experience but we realized that we wanted to kind of show them the world a little sooner than later cuz our neighborhood was pretty homogenized and it wasn't it wasn't an issue of bullying or racism it was more of just the kids and the parents in the neighborhood didn't really see beyond the neighborhood and you could find this you could find this in in uh, any city in the States or Australia where, or UK, wherever, where people don't really look beyond their town. You know, all conversations sort of deal with things uh, uh, within, you know, 30 miles of their home. And we wanted to show them the world was a little bigger and that there were other people like them and and, uh, and there was other races and cultures and all those kinds of things. Just wanted to get a little exposure. And so we... uh, we took off and it was, uh, you know, it, it was a little uh, rough in the first few months just because, you know, Tokyo is a super safe and kind of secure womb and kind of learning how to deal with that. But then once we got out, it was amazing the sort of the way they Sort of expanded their ideas uh, and their sort of perception of the world, and and also sort of opened up from becoming very shy to haggling at guest houses and helping us get a better deal because they're you know cute and speaking in the local language. Uh, uh, you know, obviously, education was a big part of that uh, or is a big part of any kind of long term family travel. Uh, I can get into the sort of the details of how we did that, if you like. But the, the sort of the truncated version is we started off with just sort of school at home as far as homeschooling. I mean, it was pretty much, you know, we did this hour we'll do English. will this hour we'll do math. Uh then we went the total opposite direction and went into, you know, what some people call unschooling, where we let the kids sort of control their own curriculum completely. And that didn't really work for us as well. And then we sort of found a happy medium between that. And I could, you know, I can detail that or or send you a link to the sort of system that we came up with. And we did that for, what, two years, two and a half years? Uh we also integrated in something that I would recommend to anybody traveling long term or short short term and when I mean short term I mean a couple months uh, is uh, look for progr- you know, look for international schools that have something called a distance learning program. Uh, This, you know, different programs at different schools, but this is usually where, well, let me just give you an example of one we used in uh, Malaysia. We were, we were based on the island of Penang in uh, um, uh, the west side of peninsular Malaysia. And uh, there was a, there was an international school nearby, which had a, what's called a distance learning program. We went, we signed up, the kids uh, cost 150 bucks for the entire semester for both kids. And neither kid was actually a member of the school. They didn't wear the uniform. They didn't go to classes. But they could join the soccer team. They could use the English library. They could uh, join after-school programs. And so my kids took gymnastics and chess and, you know, papier-mâché classes after school with the local kids. And uh, that was a great way for them to, to socialize. And that was a supplement to homeschooling. Because, you know, kids, if they're just inside all the time, some kids are fine with that. My kids needed to get out and, you know, you know, and and socialize. And so that worked for us.
1: Talking about education, a big part of, of education and travel is that building of confidence, which you described very briefly, talking about going from being shy kids to haggling at the market. Can you just speak for a minute about the development of your kids' confidence through these travels?
0: Well, sure, because travel travel can teach a lot of different things. I mean, obviously, it can teach patience, um, especially if you're doing long-term budget travel like us, which means that instead of taking the fastest, most expensive route, you're sitting at a bus stop for a long time, then you're sitting at the airport for a long time, and then you're transferring to another airplane. And eventually, even though those, those kinds of times can be excruciating at first, they do you know, tend to help kids learn to learn to wait, learn to occupy themselves. Um, then also, just being in, you know, being kind of uh, thrown into very foreign uh, situations where they may not understand what's happening, they may not understand the language going on, and learning to cope with that and adapt to that is uh, is a big part of it. I was telling somebody earlier. One of my first podcasts I did with a friend of mine named Clark that I actually met in in while we were living in Malaysia, and he had said something. He said, "All I want is I want my you know I want resourceful kids." And there's something about travel and being out of routines and kind of moving around that helps kids build a resourcefulness. And the way I define resourcefulness is to is to be able to understand what you know. What you can understand and comprehend, also to have a grasp of what you don't know and what you don't understand, and be able to leverage those two to get what you want. Now, at their age, that may be they just want to, you know, they just want to get this seat on the bus, uh, you know, that you know the four-hour bus through the jungle. But later on, it, may, it could be a job that they want. They, you know, being able to, you know, accept what you don't understand or what you don't know, figure out how to to learn it, and there's, I'm I'm trying to figure out a way to to explain to you how how travel does this, but uh, but certainly being in a in a variety of situations made the kids a little more comfortable in themselves and being able to handle things. Uh, you know, our kids went from uh, you know being, or at least our son, it was was rather shy at first. And now he could be quite gregarious or at least be outgoing to get what he wants because he realizes, the you know, maybe the people aren't out to get him. I mean, now that he's a teen, you know, the, there's different things happening, you know, uh, you know social interactions with other teens are different than social interactions with the guy at the marketplace or the or the boat driver say but uh he has learned to exert himself probably at first out of just necessity you know, to be honest um maybe another part of this that could tie in was when we left malaysia we after a little travel just driving around the states We moved to Spain, and we were based in Valencia, Spain, for two years. And after homeschooling for two years, our kids uh, said they wanted to try something new. My son wanted to play uh, football, soccer, sorry. Um, And uh, so we put them in local schools in in Spain, and none of us spoke Spanish at all. And so, you know— this sort of throwing the kid in the deep end is perceived in different ways by different parents, uh, but it totally worked for us. I mean, it was it was hard for the kids at first, but. Uh, but uh, we left Spain two years later with two kids fluent in Spanish, or I mean, close to fluent. I, you know, fluency is a is a loaded term. With loads of friends that they keep in contact with, and a deeper understanding of Spanish culture than my wife and I will ever have. And um, I think I think that's a big part of it. Uh, that sense of accomplishment when they do navigate a situation, uh, you know, in their favor, it does make them more confident uh, when something else comes along. And this, this can happen even with younger kids. I mean, what's the biggest fear of all of us is the fear of the unknown. And if you are thrown in enough situations where you don't know what's going on, you tend to become a little more comfortable in, you know, in those situations, or at least you you don't push the panic button as fast as you might.
1: Well, what you're doing with your kids is just, you know, head and shoulders, you know, way beyond you know, what the experiences that I had as a kid, and quite frankly, the experiences that I'm likely to to give to my kids. But you never know. I'm I certainly would love to expand their universe and just do something incredible. You know, like what you're doing with your family. What really caught my attention in that last story you told was. Was your son wanting to play soccer because I, I love sports as kind of an equalizer amongst human beings. What was that experience like for your son and then for you guys playing you know playing sports in another country as an equalizer.
0: Well, that's basically soccer was his door into each of these countries, and that was that was tough. I mean, talking about navigating some situations when you don't know what's going on. Um, when we uh, just to back up, we let you know I we I said we left in 2013. Our first stop was Taiwan, where. My wife and I had lived long before marriage and kids, and we still had a lot of friends that uh, lived there. Either they were non-Taiwanese who had married locals, or local friends of ours who uh, had just, you know, stayed in their their hometown. We were able to sort of make some connections with local soccer teams uh, through them. Uh, then when we went on to Malaysia and then on to Thailand, Malaysia of course is an English-speaking country, which made it very easy to find. Uh, Thailand is not, um, but uh, you know it took some research. And then we found uh, uh, we you know we were in Chiang Mai, which is in the north of the country. We went straight to the the Chiang Mai official team and to their kids division and, you know, had written things down and printed things out so that we could explain in, you know, in Thai, uh, I mean, not, not that we were, you know, anywhere near the right pronunciation, we had things written down, if our son could join, and, uh, and he was able to. Uh, then, you know, we, we did that again, and, you know, when we went back to, to Malaysia, we moved back to Malaysia for an entire year. And uh, there he played on three different teams um, and, uh, and got good enough to where when we decided uh, to move on to Spain, we had already sort of prepared uh, a few things. But now we're going through official channels. We're not just playing for just a little local, uh, you know, a local team here, a local team there. He, uh, he tried out for third division, uh, you know, Spanish La Liga team. Um, so we had to go through FIFA. It took forever. Um, I mean, and when I mean it took forever, maybe forever means nine months to get him through. He was on the team practicing, but because of all of the paperwork that FIFA, that I had to deal with the FIFA, he actually could not play in official games for the first nine months we were there. Um, but that experience for him... Uh, I would say, you know, was like, I mean, without being too dramatic, was a uh, life changing, life altering. It ended up in the end that he's, you know, he realized he's not going to, he just doesn't want to be a professional footballer, um, partially because, you know, he wonders if he has that skill level, but he also had, was, had the self-awareness to say, I don't want to do this every minute of every day. I don't want to train all the time. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to, I want to travel and I want to do other things. And if I continue on this path, I will do nothing but play football until I either break a leg or make a, you know, multimillion dollar deal. So, you know, so that was that was an in my mind that was a the a, a sort of turning another corner was the self awareness where you know I want to be a soccer star you know like is like a little kid wanting I want to be a fireman and then this you know being self aware to say I you know I don't want to do what it takes to do this um so that was a big step and that and um uh what I would say uh, I was saying this to some blog reader recently is if anybody does plan to take you know a month or more in another country a lot of people approach me about uh you know who who want their kids to learn spanish whether it's in spain or in mexico or or they want to learn japanese and they want their kids to you know to go to a japanese school for a month or something like that uh, i would i would stress and urge you at least through my personal experiences is it you know they learn through play as much as anything else. I mean, don't just throw your kids. You know, I, I talked about uh, dropping my kids into uh, Spanish schools like some some heartless <laughs> tiger mom here. <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. We put them in schools, but then we actually then made sure that they made friends, went over to friends' house, joined sports teams, did other things because when. When they actually play in that language, their language uh, abilities, you know, triple or you know, quadruple.
1: Yeah, sure. I can just imagine it. Mean just because you're not thinking about it in those moments, you're not, you're you're out of your head. You're just playing and and having a good time.
0: The example that I usually give is, um, uh, our kids were in local schools and uh, um, in the the valencian community the valencian community is just a fancy name for the state of valencia um in in spain um schools there uh they have a the siesta break they have a two and a half hour break in the middle of the day where uh most people leave their jobs leave their schools go home and have a big meal with the family um but not everybody goes home and uh You know, we finally, after maybe four months in in the school, we told uh we told our daughter says um we I think we want you to stay at school during the siesta period, and she was a little nervous about that because this was you know this was no longer class this was basically they fed them lunch and then it was just playground time for two and a half hours. Within months of us doing that, her Spanish had just spiked because the rules were off and it was just having fun and, you know, and, and learning. And so after that, we realized, and we were seeing the same thing with our son at at his uh, soccer practices. So uh, just going to a country and taking Spanish lessons or Chinese lessons or whatever, you know, French lessons, wherever you go, that's, that's a major component, but try to find a way outside of class to interact, whether that be, going to dance lessons or cooking classes or joining a sports team. I think a sports team is, is one of the best because you're not, you're, you're sort of in a, a different level of, uh, of comprehension when, when the language goes on. But some idea of something enjoyable with, with locals helps a lot.
1: One more question about soccer and then we're going to move on to, to your, to your podcast. You're, yeah, sure. You have a very international makeup in your family. You guys are a traveling crew you're all over the world. Who do you support in the World Cup?
0: <laughs> that that is uh that's funny Basically, the three teams. Uh, if, if I may, we're recording this right before yep. the uh, you know, right before the the, the finals.
1: Yep, the finals are set, but they're the
0: finals are set. Yep. Uh, the three teams that we we basically rooted for, the three teams that we know best, or the three countries that we know best, we rooted for Japan, we rooted for Spain, and we rooted for Mexico. And especially being in Mexico, we were we were uh, uh, a, <laughs> really going to Mexico because we were going to restaurants i mean here in san miguel or in you know in 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 this time zone most games are on at 9 a.m or 1 p.m so we would go out to a local cantina that would open up for this or a local restaurant and it was so much fun to watch with with people who are you know have a real emotional investment in it but uh uh, Spain played really well. Japan played really well, except for that one game where they just ran the clock down just to get to the next finals. That was kind of lame. But uh, but yeah, we, we rooted for all of them. I don't have uh, I don't have a dog in the fight anymore. I guess out of the two, I would uh, out of the two uh, finals now, I would root for Croatia just simply because I, I want to go there.
1: Well, there you go. You can go celebrate in Croatia. And yeah, that's going to be a fun game. And yeah, by the time this this airs, the World Cup will be long in the rear view, but uh, <laughs> it's been a whole lot of fun. We're speaking with Jason Jenkins today from the Epic Education podcast. You can find him at anepiceducation.com. So let's talk about that podcast, Jason. What is, an epic, uh, what is epic Education all about? And tell us what we can learn when we tune in.
0: Okay, well, um, the the blog is called uh, an Epic Education, and I started that when we left in 2013, just because. And I, and when I say Epic, I mean uh, obviously uh, the word is used now by snowboarders and you know and uh, and freedivers to explain extreme or awesome. But I also wanted it to uh, to really denote. The, the the true meaning of it I mean epic as in you know Odysseus and Ulysses and the the long and the, the long adventure basically um, and I wanted to put education in there because basically this is how this is how we learn now um, saying so, that the blog has been going since uh, since 2013 basically talking about the places that we know well and trying to explain a little bit about uh, you know, what we've learned along the, the way, as well as helping people with travel gear and places to stay and things to do in the places that that, that we go. Uh, now, the podcast is called Epic Education Radio, and it started about two years ago, I think. And at the time that we're recording this, I just uh, I just polished off the 150th episode. Uh, the first year or so uh, maybe a year and a half of the show. It was mainly just profiling fa- uh, various family travelers, a little bit like what you're doing here. Uh, you know, but then getting into sort of the educational resources they use, the websites they use, the places they'd recommend. In the in the year 2018, starting in January, I've shifted the focus more to talk about uh, uh, specific places, specific destinations. Or specific aspects of family travel, uh, whether that be about uh, traveling with picky eaters or trying to find uh, the best things to do in the Yucatan Peninsula or in the country of Germany. So, uh, you know, for example, the most recent episode is uh, some uh, friends of mine who just uh, drove a Range Rover through Tanzania, Malawi, and uh, Namibia. But maybe the next episode will be on the Grand Canyon and the next episode will be on uh you know how to pack for kids or how to find a community of other travelers so i just try to you know make it topical to you know try to find those topics and if anybody has a topic that they need covered that they cannot find information on let me know because i'd like to cover it
1: Yep, And that is what good podcast hosts do. They solve problems. They deliver information to their listeners. And Jason's doing a killer job over there at Epic Education Radio. And again, you can check out this website at anepiceducation.com. We are going to step aside for just 30 seconds to hear from our nonprofit partner. We're going to be right back with Jason Jenkins. Stick with us. Flight is a non-profit organization that empowers students in underserved communities through transformative travel experiences. I believe in flight because I believe that every student deserves a chance to expand his or her global education, regardless of where they come from or how much money they have. I encourage you to visit DramaticTravels.com flight. There, you'll find links to join the flight community and donate to this fantastic organization. That address, again, is DramaticTravels.com slash flight light. All right, Dramatic Travels family, we are back with Jason Jenkins from Epic Education Radio and EpicEducation.com. Jason, how do you best capture your travel memories and share a tip with us about how to use that method effectively? How to best capture
0: travel memories? Well, um, you know, as far as technology goes, I, uh, I, use, um, I use a Oh, man, I don't have my camera right on me, but uh, uh, I use Google Photos. That way I can just zap them out to all my friends. I think uh, online storage, I use Smug Mug and Google Photos and Shoebox to store and then share. Um, but then as far as uh, the sort of instant share, I'm, I'm just starting to fiddle with Instagram stories. I think they're fun. I lo- definitely love Instagram, and I'm starting to use that a little more than I used to.
1: Yeah. Instagram story is a whole lot of fun. Definitely. Uh, keep with that. You can do a whole lot of fun stuff and really just share and engage with people on, on that. I really enjoy it myself. So Jason, recommend a book for us, travel related book, fiction, nonfiction guidebook, your, your choice.
0: Wow. Okay. Um, for the parents or for the adults, I guess I should say, uh, one of my favorite books is the, is the song lines. And I'm just, uh, At a loss of his name right now. Hold on, I'm gonna get get that for you. Ah, yes, Bruce Chatwin. Uh, The the late great uh, Bruce Chatwin wrote a book called The Songlines, and it will sort of justify some of your travel desires as something that is innate in you. Um, And then, as far as um, as other books that I would recommend, I would I would definitely look into uh, it. Depending on the age of your kids, I think the Rick Riordan books are fantastic to read together. They are fantastic to read as audiobooks, and then they can also inspire uh, reading some of the classics. I mean, the original series of the Percy Jackson books—you know—got my kids interested in Greek and Roman, uh, uh, you know, mythology. Then they went on to the Norse mythology. Then they went on to Egyptian mythology, and then you know, then when we go and see these places for ourselves, for example, when we're living in Spain, which in Valencia was a Roman, you know, a Roman colony, you know, it it brings things home in a in a way that uh, I think uh, is great. Another book that I would recommend, you know, not really travel related, but uh, Yuval Harari wrote a book called *Sapiens*, which is probably the best thing I've read in the last few years. Talking about just evolution of, uh, of humankind. And I would definitely, uh, be, uh, definitely be something that I would uh, recommend to everybody.
1: Sweet. And on that same note of recommendations, recommend a gadget, something you always travel with that just makes every trip better.
0: Oh man, I'm I'm a gadget nerd and I have a lot of the same stuff that everybody else has. Um, but I would, one thing that I would recommend that, uh, well, you know, for example, a, a pair of uh, uh, what is it? A you know, sort of sound canceling headphones, especially if you're working, uh, they make a huge difference when you're in uh, when you're in places with your your family. But it, to be to break something down to even simpler, this is to call this as a gadget is maybe even a stretch, but I highly recommend if you're traveling in in hot and humid places like uh, Latin America or Southeast Asia I highly recommend bringing a uh, a collapsible insulated bag because you and your kids are going to be thirsty all the time so wherever you are you stick a a bottle of water in the freezer you freeze that w- water bottle then you Drop that in the insulated bag. You throw another two bottles of water on top of that, and you are good to go with cold water for an entire day. And that makes a huge difference, huge difference in so many places in the world.
1: That is some tactical advice, my friend. If I have ever heard it, that's wonderful. It's a great idea. Never never even thought of that. Haven't had anyone recommend that yet. It's a beautiful, beautiful idea. Jason, winding down here, give us some advice—advice advice for parents who dream of traveling with their children, but they just don't know where to start. What, what do you say to them to help get them out the door?
0: Well, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but uh, this is—I I, want—I'm going to say this as I definitely want you to go, and there's a very good chance you can do it, but. A lot of media on, you know, in the travel space. Uh, you know, a lot of it just says, "Just go, you'll figure it out." It's you know, on your way. Just go. I would warn against that and and be wary of people who say to just go. Yes, just go. But the main thing: set a plan, set a deadline, and work towards it. Don't just run out the door with your bank accounts out of order and dishes in the sink. Set a date. And then work towards it. Work backwards. What has to be done leading up to it? It'll it'll be scary at first, but once you get out there, it is it's incredibly rewarding. It's the best best choice we ever made. If if anything, uh, the only regret I have on it is that we did not leave earlier.
1: Reverse engineer those travel goals, my friend. That is golden advice. All right, Jason. Last question, and we are going to say goodbye. This is one of my this is my favorite question because I want to know from you, Jason. What is your biggest travel dream that hasn't come true yet?
0: Hmm. The biggest right now, we've been toying with the idea of doing a big kind of bicycle tour together, Uh, either through the states. You know, my, my kids have never lived in the states. They've seen, you know. A few places. Uh, we thought about Japan as well, starting in Hokkaido, in the northernmost island, and then you know peddling down to uh, Fukuoka, maybe even to Okinawa. That's something a big dream is that. But on a on a smaller scale, I haven't done a trip with just I haven't done a big trip one on one with each of my kids i've done uh you know my son and i went to uh, a small island off the yucatan for a day recently uh my daughter and i went to mexico city for two days together i now that they're a little older i can't wait to just do one trip where we, we keep talking about where like i and one kid and my wife and and the other we go to different places and then we Skype each other. So, you know, uh, my daughter and I go to Paris, and my son and my wife go to Bolivia, and then we 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 talk, you know, there. And then we kind of, you know, the next year we we switch and and go with the other. Because I um, sometimes when you travel with a family. It, you need more one-on-one time with each member, with your spouse or your partner, whomever that may be, and then with each individual child because uh, that time is precious too.
1: Absolutely is, and I find that to be the same way with with kids especially, but even with friends. You know, if you find yourself just running into the same people at parties with you know tons of different people, and you never really get that one-on-one time, but then you get those that one friend or that one couple, and you take go out to dinner and just have one-on-one time. It's just so much more meaningful. And uh, indeed, and. This is great, great stuff. I said I was going to be my last question. I lied because as you were giving that answer, (laughs) I just popped into my head. Like, What is it like um, being an American growing up in the States and having two kids who have never lived in your home country? What's that like?
0: it's a it's interesting um it, you know it was a concern years ago like i said when um they were sort of having identity issues at least my son was he was sort of ashamed of that side of him when we lived in japan and not because of just specifically japan because we he there was nobody else uh, around i uh, if you saw me i'm i'm kind of a gangly guy with a with a beer gut and a big red beard and so i don't look like anybody around and that was you know what the impetus for us to go out into the world for them to see somebody. But to get back to your question, you know, now our kids are quite proud of their heritage, both of their heritage's, Japan and the United States. But it's um, but it's interesting because sometimes I realize they don't understand certain things or you know things that you and I know. I mean, one example, we were we had to buy a blanket somewhere. I can't remember where it was. It was getting cold. We needed a blanket, so we went to a we went to a shop and my son hands me this big comforter with an orange cat on it. And he says, what about this? And I say, oh, I don't want anything with Garfield on it. And he said, what's a Garfield? And I went, oh right, <laughs> you don't you don't know who Garfield is. But of course, now that they're getting older and with YouTube and the ubiquity of YouTube, they listen to the they listen to the latest you know the latest hits and they watch you know they they know you know TV stars and all of that. So those kind of cultural things are different. But every so often there'll be something that they'll pick up and I'll realize that they they didn't know it. So we. We have an obligation to, to teach them a little more, and not just about pop culture, but about, about U.S. history and those things. We try to do that. The only length of time they've spent in the States is we, we, drove, we did a big road trip. We drove to the Grand Canyon, and then we went back to Atlanta, and then we drove to Washington, D.C., and we need to do more of that for sure.
1: We'll definitely roll through Sacramento, California when you're here and say hello. Jason Jenkins... Been such a pleasure, man. Thanks so much for joining us on Dramatic Travels. Family, have a great one, and we hope to hear great things from you in the future.
0: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yes, indeed, my friend. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Jason Jenkins from Epic Education Radio. Head over to DramaticTravels.com slash 27 to check out the notes from this show, all the links, everything Jason and I chatted about. It's all right there, my friend. DramaticTravels.com slash 27. All right, my friends, we're going to talk next week. And remember, your emotional memories are your most powerful memories. So put some emotion in your motion.